What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 45 of Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you, as we all are seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, today is going to be a fun episode. Today, we get to sit down with Nashville recording artist, Mr. Dave Barnes. Dave is an amazing, amazing artist, but he's even more of an amazing person You may have heard one of his eight albums, most recently his album, Who Knew It Would Be So Hard to Be Myself, which released in 2018. Last year, he did a great comedy tour uh, along with his music at Christmas. But what you're going to love about Dave is his heart, his humor, and his faith. His music is unbelievable, but I loved it even more after getting to spend some time with him. Dave is a uh, amazing guy, and today you're going to hear how deep the well of his faith really is. So I don't know where you're at right now, but I hope you'll have a pen, pencil, something to write with, and I hope you'll pull up a chair, and I hope you'll listen in to my time with Dave Barnes. Well, Dave, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is great to have you, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me. Dude, it is it is awesome. So I told you a few minutes ago, the very first musician we've ever had as a guest, very first comedian. Yeah. We'll get get into that a little bit. So you you I know yeah. on Annie F Downs podcast, you are the Steve Martin of the podcast, but here you've got a first moniker as well, man. You're the you're the guy. Yeah, well, that's I, that's terrifying and exciting. All of that, you know, knowing knowing. It. There's all this uh, pressure and expectations. You know? Well, I love your story, Dave. And I was reading up a lot on you and just listening to a lot of stuff. I love that you grew up in a pastor's home. I got a special affinity for kids that grew up with a dad who does what I do and what your dad did at the time. What yeah. was that experience like for you growing up as a preacher's kid in South Carolina, then moving up to yeah. Knoxville? What was that experience like for you? Um, you know, it was a tremendous blessing. I I think maybe one of the biggest uh, blessings of my life, to be truthful, um, mainly because I can't imagine uh, not having grown up in a Christian home um, and that shaping so much of not just my worldview, but I think my sense of who I am, Mm. sense of identity, um, how God is essential to who I am. And also the God is sort of the God of the mundane too, you know, mm. like the God's God of the big experiences, the big struggles of the, what am I supposed to do? And this is how um, we pray about that. But also God is, God is a part of everything. He is, he is integral to how we live. Um and so I think for me, it was just a massive, massive blessing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it made it normal, which was, which was a big deal, you know, that like 
um, yeah, that like I, I was I was a part of sort of God was just a part of everyday stuff, and I think that was that was a massive massive blessing. Well, it's so funny because you see so many kids that grow up in that environment, and either a they feel a pressure to live up to something or B when they get out of it, they don't really want anything to do with the whole church world. What would you say your dad did really right to make that where you went, dude, it's the, it's probably the biggest blessing of my life. What did he do right to make it that way for you? Yeah. Um, you know what? Let me, let me, Paul, I, my, my, I think I know what's happening. Would let me pause. Can I pause? Okay. Things? I Absolutely. Think my earbuds are killing. I'm just put on my headphones so I can hear you. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, can you hear me still? Yeah, I got you good. You're good. Good and clear. Okay. Yeah, we'll that. edit. We'll edit out that problem. That's uh, that piece. Not a big deal at all. So, so um, sorry. Asking that one more time. I'm back. Yeah. So, I'm what did your dad do right? You know, you grow up and you, and to be a grown man now raising kids, and you look back and go, man being raised in a home like that was just a tremendous blessing. He did something right. He and your mom did something right. What was it that they created an environment for you that it was yeah. a great experience? Yeah. Um, I think I say this a lot. I think, I think uh, maybe the biggest thing is the um, functional part of faith. That faith was, it was a part of your everyday life. I, I know I just sort of said that in the last answer too, but I think mom and dad just did a really, really good job of going. God is a part of your math homework. Mm -hmm. He's a part of frustrated because you're, cause your team lost. Um, he's a part of our family and how we get along. Uh, uh, he's a part of what you want to do with your life. He's a part of your, um, of your vocation. And that was a big deal because God wasn't a Sunday God, you that's know, good. and, uh, and I think, and I think that's really tough, uh, you know, for pastors is how do I make, you know, your first ministries to your, to your family. And I think that's, that's a tough calling on you guys to remember that because everybody's always pulling at you, you know, every, everybody, it's hard not to remember that your faith family actually comes behind your, your blood family. And I think some pastors get that backwards to the detriment of their families, of their, of their core families, of their kids and wife. And I think by the grace of God, my dad just did a really good job of kind of going like, no, 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 this is my first church is these five people. And then the church is the second iteration of that. And so we didn't really suffer from that. I mean, my dad drew really strong lines on like, he would turn the phone off. This is before cell phones, obviously 30 years ago. But <laughs> He would not, you know, like, I remember there's a moment, this is one of the moments that really affected me. Uh, we were sitting at dinner one uh, night, you know, at five or six, eating the whole family and the phone rang. And I remember dad getting up. I remember this really well. He got up and he had his phone. And he said, okay, okay. Well, you know, uh, if you don't mind, would you call this elder? Um, he'd be glad to help you. I'm at home now. And so I can talk to you in the morning, but, but um, he may be able to help you if you need somebody right now. Okay, thank you. And I remember hanging up. And I remember at the time going, Dang, that's cold. Because I was probably, you know, I was old enough to, for that to that to register. And I just remember, and now, at, you know, at 40 years old, I'm like, that's one of the best gifts he could wow. have ever given us. Say, no, 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 like, 
God is big and sovereign. And this problem is not bigger than my family's need for myself, for, for me to be a dad right now. And so, and you know, th- there would be exceptions to that rule, obviously, when you have emergencies and things like that. But I think, um, you know, that, that's a, that was a big, big, big deal. And I think it's hugely affected how I think about my family and how, and their access to me and then everybody else's access to me. Um, so I'm thankful for that. So yeah, because you'll pull that in a million different directions too. When did when did all this faith stuff begin to be yours? When did it become your faith? Were you a student? Were you a child? When you went, man, I I got it. I sort of as much as I could at the time got what it was about and sort of owned it for myself. You know, I I was sort of born into the baptismal. <laughs> so like, <laughs> for me. Uh, so for me, I don't remember a time without it. Thank the Lord. I'm that. Um, so, and I think that's what I mean. I think faith has always been a really wonderfully functional thing. I I think not that I'm good at it, but in fact, I make it worse at it the older I get, but I think it's, it was just always a part of my life. I don't remember. And I mean, on a heart level, I don't just mean our schedules, you know, as, as as well, we're at the, we were at the church all the time, but that it just was sort of how we did things and how I did things and how I thought about life. So I don't really remember a time without it. Did you feel a pressure that I got to go grow up and do what dad's doing? Or did he just give you tons of flexibility there to go chase your dreams? Yeah. One of the blessings too, I think of, of my dad's story is that he, he became a Christian when he was 18. So and Andy grew up in the church I and mean, he was, they, 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 he may have been at church more growing up than even I was because his family, his mom was like, you know, dragged the three boys and the girl by the ear. To, and that's what we did. She was a wonderful, godly woman. But, you know, that was the deal. And yep. so, you know, his church experience growing up was wonderful and very deep and rich, but but didn't actually bring him to salvation, I think. Um, that happened uh, his senior year of high school at, between the summer of his senior year and freshman year of college. So his faith was really, and still is, it's, it's one of the things I probably respect the most about him is it's very, very of the earth. It's not this sort of, um, he, I think one of the things I respect about my dad is he really understands the human condition really well. Cause I think he understands himself really well. So he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not judgmental at all. He's not, uh, he's not afraid of things. You know, I think his faith is very like, Hey, the world's the world and, and we're in it and we got to learn how to deal with that. So he didn't really try to keep us from stuff. Um, and I think that caused a lot more um, obedience and sort of uh, trust for him. Cause I think it made me think like, Oh, like he really thinks I can handle these situations um, which caused, you know, me to have to lean on the Lord a lot, you know, and, and sort of go, well, if dad thinks I can do it I, and mom trusts me enough to sort of be in some of these places. You know, so um, that that informed a lot of of our growing up, too, is just that I think he and mom both um, and dad, especially just is always kind of like, you'll figure it out. Like, God, you got Lord, you got us like it's going to be OK, whatever it is. It was never a very it, like we weren't sheltered at all. I mean, we were in the ways I think you need to be. But but dad was never scared of 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 much. You know, he was kind of like, ah, I think you'll figure it out, you know. What a gift, though, man. What a gift. He gave, and, and to me, and I don't know, you know, I've, we've never met face-to-face, but listening to you, um, hearing other podcasts, hearing other interviews you've been in, it, it, it seems like you're just super settled in who you are. 
And that is a great, and that, that's a, that could be dangerous, but that is a great gift though, that he gave you and you, he and your mom created an environment. So y'all move from South Carolina to Knoxville before your senior year. What did you think you were going to be doing with your life at that time? Did you go, man, I'm going to be a artist one day and I'm going to do some stand up. What, what did you see yourself doing at that time? I honestly thought I was going to be when I, in Mississippi. I thought I'd be a youth director. Like I really thought like I was going to be a churchman. You know, I would be on staffs. I'd do the seminary thing and then I'd be on staff at a church somewhere, either as a minister. Cause I do, I have a real heart for that. It, it mm. is, it is, that is very dad, uh, pass that down. I, I love the church and I love people. And, um, I do have some shepherding leanings. Um, but, you know, we got to Knoxville and then music really, I grew up, you know, with music around and playing music, but it really became paramount sort of in that move because I got around other people that played and, you know, it was really um, fun and exciting to sort of get into that. And that's when that bug, and, and even then when I got to college, I thought I was going to be a drummer and then God sort of, opened these different doors that led to songwriting that then led to artistry. Um, and so all of it, you know, so much of my life has just been surprises. I feel mm. like the Lord's like, boo, guess what? You like this now. And I'm like, <laughs> that's great too. So, um, so it's never, uh, it's, it's wonderfully, so many of the things that have been such huge blessings in my life have been these sort of, um, providential surprises, you know, um, which makes it so much easier on me because I don't Doesn't have to be the guy that's got. <laughs> well, that, <laughs> well, sort of... The beauty of that is the beauty of that is, man, you just begin to trust the Lord with everyday life that God's going to get me where he needs me to go. He's going to take me where he needs me to go. So how did you, how did the whole songwriting bug start? Cause you mean you go from playing drums to pinning song. I cannot imagine how the, how did you discover that ability um so when i was in high school i was in a i was in a christian band in knoxville and i would write lyrics to stuff i don't even know why i did that um again you know god's humorous that way but i would just find myself writing lyrics and then you know we had a guitar player that sort of put music to it and all of a sudden and i would and i didn't then think of myself as a songwriter i thought oh you kind of took some stuff and made it. you wrote yeah. that song i just wrote um, and so that was already a little seed that God was had planted in me without really even me knowing. And then when I got to college, my roommate had a guitar and so I would sort of play his guitar. And I just think completely instinctively, I thought I, you need to, I need to write songs. That's what, that's what I like playing the guitar. And thankfully I picked it up pretty quickly because I'd play the drums. And I think if you start rhythmically, any, any instrument is easy once because if you can play anything in time, you actually sound like you know what you're doing. So guitar was not that I was like Stevie Ray Vaughan, but um, but it came pretty easily. And then I just was like, oh, I should write songs. And so started writing songs. My best friend, uh, who's still my closest friend, um, sang well. And so I'd sort of write these songs, get him to sing them. He has a great voice. And then sooner or later, he was like, man, I feel like you should start singing these songs. And so that's when it really started. I started really own sort of the voice of the song started to change. Cause I was like, oh, I should write more about my experience. Cause at the time they were just sort of these, you know, really fun, but not super specific sort of songs. They were just like fun love songs or whatever. And then all of a sudden it was like, well, if I'm going to be singing these, singing these, I need to make them a little more of my own. 
And then that's really probably, you know, sophomore, junior year of college, I really started to go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to start seeing what this is like. That is crazy. That is correct. So, so you start doing it and then at what point do you go, you know, I think I'm pretty good at this. I think this is a, I think, I think there's a gift there that I don't know if there's going to be a lot of people that like it, but I think it's natural for me. When did all that sort of start resonating with you? I, so, so this is, I've told the story so many times, but it's so true. I, I, I had a class get canceled my junior year of, of college and we had a library, a mass communications library with all this music books and autobiographies and magazines. And there was a magazine called Performing Songwriter. And, 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 and it, this is important context, piece of context. Is I didn't have any friends that wrote songs. So I didn't know, I didn't have a vernacular of like, Friend, like now that is 90% of my community is songwriters and artists. Mm-hmm. So like our conversations, I'm sure like with you and other pastors and church men, you know, you sit and you go and there's a vocabulary you share. It's immediate, right. you know, like how about this? And about this. and so for me, I didn't have that. So I sort of thought I was sort of afflicted with this weird curse, you know, that was like <laughs> a lyric, I can't get a melody out of my head. And then all of a sudden, you know, I found this magazine called Performing Songwriter because I had a class canceled. So I was like, I'm just going to go sit in the MassCom library and like kill some time. And I ended up skipping the next class because I, it was like, you know, five years of these magazines and they were monthly magazines. And the first one I pulled out was a Paul Simon one. And so I'm like, oh, I love Paul Simon. So I'm reading it. And it's like, yo, yeah, I'll find myself pacing. And I was like, I pace. And he's like, and then I'll find myself in the yard wondering how I got in the yard, but it's because I was following this melody and I couldn't and before I know it I'm just kind of walking around and I forget where I am and I was like I do that that's exactly what I do and then I flipped the page and it was an interview with John Mellencamp and he's like oh you know I find that I do lyrics this way and I was like I do lyrics this way it's like what is this magazine that is crazy gracious like I was just ripping them off the shelf like you know and it was anybody it was like Suzanne Vega all these people I didn't even listen to but we shared this experience of being a songwriter this sort of this sort of calling, this blessing, this burden of how your brain works. And all of a sudden it was like, wait, 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 there are others like me. Community <laughs> <You know, like, laughs> in these magazines, these pages, these magazines. So that was really when I went, oh, like this is a thing. This isn't a little fun yes. side thing. Like this is a, a way of life. This is a, a way of being. And I think that was really the beginning of me going, oh, okay. And then when I moved to Nashville two years later, it was like I just hit the jackpot because I started to meet other songwriters. And, the, and I started having literal conversations. It's like, well, how do you write? I write like that. You write that way? I like that. You should try this thing. Or, oh, you should meet this guy and write with this girl. And then you have, you ever, and it was like, oh my gosh, like I've, you know, like this is the mother load of, of, you know, of community and finding people that are like that and like me, you know. Does being around them and being around others make you better at doing that? Like, so you're with that, that girl songwriter that somebody introduced you to and y'all have a quick meeting and does it just stir stuff in you? Yeah. You know, I've always said Nashville um, either inspires or intimidates, you know, when you move here. Uh, but I think now I realize it actually does both. Like it's cause I'm still intimidated, but hopefully that turns to inspiration. And I think, if you can't get out of the intimidation piece, people usually don't continue to do it. But I think the people that can take that sort of like 
oh my gosh, you go to a show and you're like, that's the most amazing guitar player I've ever seen in my life. But if you go home and go, oh, well, I'm not going to play guitar because of that, you know, that's, that's probably right. a pretty good indication as you're doing. But if you go home and you go, you know what, I wonder if I can figure that out or how can I use that and sort of turn it into something for myself? Those people are usually the ones that end up doing it, you know? And so, um, yeah, it's important. I mean, the first time I've really ever met other artists in Nashville, there was these two twin brothers named Ricky and Randy Jackson who were in a band called The Daylights for a long time. And I remember going to their house. I mean, I'd been here maybe a couple of months. I met him in a Starbucks, true story. We ended up talking. We had like a couple of mutual friends like, well, we should go hang out. So I went to their house and I played a song that was like my favorite song and I knew it was a good song and I kind of felt like, boom. So there that is, you know, check me out. And like, oh, got hundreds of them. Don't ask me about them. Yeah, yeah, just as I could fill the night up with them. But but I said, uh, I'd love to hear a song. And they both played a song. They're twin brothers. They both sing like angels, sound like Jeff Buckley, both of them. They're these really good looking guys. And they played this one song that was one of the most amazing songs I ever thought. And I thought, I made a terrible decision with my life. Wow. I need to go to seminary, ditch this whole thing. <laughs> but instead, I went, this is amazing. Like, okay, all right, good to know. There are other people who are incredible out there. But I want to be a part of that if I can. And so that just made me, you know, try harder and be more dedicated. All the things you hope in a a calling, you know, that that it just gives birth to more life, even though you got to prune a little more and you got to pull a couple more, still want to cultivate that thing, you know. Do you worry, like I know you've just gotten done and your new album just came out. Do, Do you worry when you get done with an album? Oh my God, am I going to have any more the next time? Am, am I like all out of ideas? Is that ever a worry for you? You know, I think, I think there's a really interesting shift. And I wonder if you feel this way in, in your vocation to be it preaching or teaching or, or writing, you know, uh, that, you know, the beginning it's, I, I've always said, I feel like, I feel like creativity is kind of a well. And so when you tap it the first time, you're like, I could do this forever because mm-hmm. there's water coming out of the top of this thing. And so you start scooping it and maybe for years you're like, Oh, there's just water and water. But at some point, at some point you start, well, it's starting to get some dirt in this water because yep. uh, a lot of dirt, not much water. Now I'm almost all dirt. And so I feel like as I've done it, you know, I've done, I've done it almost 20 years now. Like it's a much tougher, you know, I mean, you know how it is. It's like you're, yeah. you're, you know, you, you, you're just, you've done this a couple of times. And so now it's like, have I said this before? I feel like I've said exactly the same thing before. Yep. Or, or what if I change vibe? Does that, can I say it again, but with a different spin or so, so it's, it gets a lot harder. And I think I realize now why so many artists produce less, just the output goes down so much is because it's just, it's only human to sort of have done something enough times that you start to go, yeah, I may, I don't know that I've got a lot more to say about that, at least right now. And so you watch your output go. And I don't think I used to really lament that. But I think the longer I do it, the more I'm like, no, I think this is just natural atrophy at some point. Like you just, you know, I think music, I've said this before, but I think music is a lot more like sports than people want to let on that like, LeBron can only be, Lord knows, let me make this very clear. I do not associate my skill set with the skill set <laughs> because he is a, I mean, he is such an incredibly gifted dude. But, but you know, LeBron, even yep. LeBron, the guy, it is sport in the world. He can only do that for so long. His body can only, was, and I think in a weird way, if I can say this, your creative body 
you know, it's, it's going to atrophy too. Like at some point your creativity has done it so much and you, you're going to start to see some signs of where, you know, where you go. Yeah. And so, you know, and I think there's a lot more in me, but I just think it looks different. The pace of it is going to, is going to look a lot. Well, and you wonder not only the pace of it, but you got to do different things to get it out. So, so I, as a teacher and a speaker, I'm all personal stories. So everything's personal. Well, that's great, but you only got one life. So what, you know, when your kids get older and when it's like, okay, I reach into the bag of tricks. Well, the bag's not as full as it used to be. So, and, and probably if you're a writer, I'm sure it's the same way. In fact, I had a good friend. He's a sports psychologist. He wrote a book called get the mud out of the water. That's what it's called. And his whole thing is, you know, the longer we do things, the muddy, we don't have clear vision because mud gets in the water and we've got to, we've got to get it out. It's really good. It's a great thought. It's exactly what you said. Exactly what you said. Mm -hmm. So here you are, you, you're building this amazing career. And I know in all your podcasts, you've talked about your one song, Blake Shelton picks it up and goes huge. It just goes mammoth. What was that feeling like when that song hit as an, as a writer, what was it like? What was it like to know, God, I had a piece of that. You know, I have always, I think some of it is genuine humility. And then I think some of it is false humility, but I think I've always sort of, you know, it's a little bit of, you can take the boy out of Mississippi, but not the Mississippi out of the boy. And then I, always think of myself as sort of a small town, you know, enthusiastic little happy kid. I, I don't think of myself as like, wait till the world gets a load of me. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I think some of that's genuine, you know, some of it's like, yeah. I, I just, I, I do not look at myself as someone who is like, what a gifted guy. Like I'm not here to, to rock the world with my skill set. And then some of that, I think, is a false humility that I try to, oh, well, I mean, you know, uh, what, yeah. you guys. But I think, I, think, um, I think what it did for me was it was just hugely validating. And I think that's maybe one of the biggest gifts that the Lord sort of allowed me to have in that. Because I had never, ever, and I mean, I, I, am, I am telling you the truth, Mike, I've, I never thought I'm destined for great. Mm. I have... My goals are if I don't win a Grammy by 30, I am a failure. If I don't have a number, you know, um, I just thought, you know, I want to do this the best I can uh, in a way that is functional uh, with the other parts of my life. And that's, that's it. And I, and I had already at that point in my life, I'd been over and abundantly further than I'd ever suspected I would have been able to go in my career. So I think for me, it was just like, wow, this is unexpected. Like I, I had the ability to write a song that can be so uh, uh, universal and I didn't know that. And so I think mm. for me, this, wow, that is a cool feeling. Like I didn't know that. And now I guess I can say that I have that skill set at least once. Now you recorded it first, correct? I did. Yeah. That's how he heard it. So did it ever bother you? Well, gosh, why didn't my singing of, you know, to that never, I know you were never voted sexiest man alive. So I do know I did do my research on that. Years and years I've, I've submitted myself and 
that responses. Um, no, you know, I think, you know, just growing up, I've realized as I've, as I've gotten older, you know, that, that kind of success comes with a lot of, um, mm. sacrifice that I would, that I'm still not willing to give. And That's so for good. me, I look, man, if he can go out there and sort of bang that drum and, 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 and do that, I, that is, I'm, I'm, love it like you go do it you go take that thing to the moon and i will be here cheering you on from down here on earth you know and so um so thankfully it's kind of the best version i don't i don't know you know it would have been cool to be able to stand on stage and accept, accept some of that some of those accolades myself but at the same time i'm like i just feel like that for where my life was and is it would have come at too much too high of a cost and so um i i was it, 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 you know, thrilled to be able to sort of sit on the sidelines as I watched him sort of take the ball and run, you know. And that is, that is a great perspective, Dave. That is a great perspective. Is it hard when you hear people are negative about your music? Do you take that? Do you take it personal if you hear somebody criticize you or you read something critical of what you've written or what you've done? How do, how do you handle criticism? Uh, it's never easy. I mean, um, I realized something really early on, and I think this was a this was a gift from the Lord. I realized something really early on. It is not fair for me to hold people to standards that I don't hold myself to, and mm. I'll explain that by I don't love everybody's music. In fact, I don't even love one artist's music all the time. Um, it is not fair for me to look at other people and go, "But you have to." you have to love it. If you like one of my songs, you need to like them all. Or if you like one of my records, you need to like them all. Or if you listen to me for a while, you need to listen to me forever. Cause mm. I don't do that. And I think God very kindly early on in my career was like, hold on, man, think about yourself. Think about these artists. It's, it's not fair for you to get frustrated when somebody goes, Oh dude, I didn't know you're still doing music or man. I hadn't listened to you forever. You have more albums <laughs> or, you know, I only love God gave me you. And I, don't like anything else, whatever it is going, you know, man, it, that's, that's fine. I, it, it doesn't like get me excited that you feel that way, but I need to be realistic and realizing like I work that way too. And, mm. uh, and, and, and even, even more, it doesn't mean I don't like them. It doesn't mean I don't like those other songs. I may just not like them as much as this one, or when that song came into my life, it came in a context that really mattered to me in that moment for whatever reason. And, these other songs may be just as good, but they just didn't affect me in the same way at the same time in the same circumstances. So there's so many things that happen. And I think another thing too, and I'll say this quickly, Mike, I think you all like the people that are the biggest outspoken uh, people that get the most frustrated usually come feel that way because they felt the opposite about you at one point. Mm -hmm. They loved you at one point and then you disappointed them. And so mm -hmm. it comes very rare that someone who doesn't really care about you has a really strong opinion about you or about what you've done. It's usually people who loved a record, hate the next record because they loved the last record and they wanted to love this next record. So I think to having some perspective on going, man, the people who really have the hardest time and by the grace of God, I don't have a lot of these, but um, because I think my career has not been massive too. I mean, that's another, that's another sort of gift of being the place I've always been. But, you know, the people that have had the biggest problems with me or or have been outspoken about how I didn't like stuff, it's kind of funny because there's a tell in their anger. You know, mm -hmm. the tell is like, oh, that 
actually probably loved this at one point. So I need to be kind and remember that as I sort of, before I start <laughs> typing some. <laughs> I mean, Mike, this morning I woke up to, a t- to, to some tweets that I really like, because somebody was like, oh man, you know, because it was just three or four people talking to each other, but I was in the, you know, the tweet thread yeah. because my first one come to me. But one of the guys was like, oh, is that that guy from 2005 that had that one thing? Is he still around? And this girl's like, yeah, I didn't realize that. And they weren't trying to be mean, but of course, all of my insecurity and depravity (laughs) and it's just like trying to suck the life out of that thing for all of the, you know, uh, death giving nutrients I could find. And so I just laid in bed and I was like, isn't it funny that at 40, after doing this for so long, I still can feel as insecure. And I was like, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's just, and it's fine. They're, at least they're talking and they weren't being negative. No, They were not be, at all. But you know, me, I'm spinning that thing into the worst version of itself. Like it's at the darkest iteration I can turn it into <laughs> to affirm these massive insecurities in myself. Um, and so it, you know, it, it's always a struggle, but I think there is some work that kind of being able to read that stuff and to realize you're never going to make everybody happy. And that's not why I do what I do. Um, Cause it's going to, you know, it's some, you know, I mean, you know, that better anybody's a, a pastor. We're doing a big shift right now in our church with Sunday schools and change around. And it's, you know, I was on the phone for a while this morning talking to the people who, cause I'm leading one of these Sunday schools and they were like, you know, upset. And I'm like, you're just never going to make everybody happy. No. And I think, you have to acclimatize yourself to that truth at some point and hopefully lead with kindness through that. But realizing like everybody's got their own things they're dealing with. And so there's, you need to have a lot of grace for that as people, because they can turn that in, you know, I mean, you know, all this infinitely well, but there's some of that in what we do too. Yeah, It's crazy. Like, it's crazy. And it, you know, in, in that industry, especially you're really, it's easy to accept all the, all the accolades, but then when all the criticism comes, you feel obligated to accept it too. And it's, I heard, I think it was Craig Groeschel. I heard say, you know, uh, don't let compliments go to your head. So complaints won't go to your heart. And it was a great little, that's a great phrase. And, and it's, it's hard. And the more you enjoy it and the more you love people, I think you're very susceptible to that. One of the things I love about you, Dave, and just some of the things I've listened and read <clears throat> here you are, you know, God's got you there for a reason. It, this is a ministry in the sense of, man, God's given you a platform. You're doing the very best you can to use it. But it wasn't like you just prayed and said, okay, God, open all the doors and I'm just going to sit back and watch you work. You hustled it too. And I heard you talking yeah. about carrying your CDs around and handing them. If you saw an artist that you respected or that you wanted to meet, you would hand it to me and you told the story about handing it to Bonnie Raitt. Do you mind sharing a little bit of that story? That is a great story, man. That is a great story. So I still do this. I mean, I gave a CD to somebody. I can't remember who in the last six months, which he was like, what's this? Um, I was like, remember CDs? They're a little uh, hole in the middle. (laughs) right. (laughs) But um, this is probably, I don't know, a decade ago, maybe eight years ago. And um, I was at Frothy Monkey here in Nashville, which was a new coffee shop at the time. Now it's kind of a linchpin for, for uh, our little area town. But I was there, and, and there was basically nobody in there. Um, I was still driving my station wagon, my uh, 
which I'm, I'm missing every day, but had CDs and all my stuff in the back. Cause I just, that, that was how I rolled literally. And uh, I'm in there by myself kind of working on lyrics or emails or something. And I look up and I see Bonnie Raitt, who to me is like, if I have a Mount Rushmore of artists, she is one of those four. I mean, she is, I love her from the bottom of my heart and grew up listening to her and the whole thing. And so I'm like, Oh my gosh, that's Bonnie Raitt. And I thought, and there's nobody in the coffee shop. And I'm like, Dave, you got to leave her alone. You know, I'm telling myself this. Well, as I look down, all of a sudden I'm holding a CD and I'm a foot behind her. I'm like, wait, how did that happen? That was so fast, you know? Like, I was like, I didn't, I thought I was going to not. But sure enough, you know, I, I, I kind of tap on her shoulder and I'm like, hey, Bonnie, I'm so sorry to bother you. And, I, you know, I just want to tell you I'm an artist here in town. And I can tell she's in a mat because she is worldwide known for her benevolence yep. she's like what she are the two kindest human people in the music industry i think you'll ever meet ever wow. ever ever they are wonderful human beings and so i kind of tap her on the shoulder and i'm like hey uh I, listen i just want to give you the cd I'm, I'm an artist in town she's like, oh, okay she's barely kind of looking at me she's with another writer named beth nielsen chapman who lives here in town and yep. who i was a fan of. So it was kind of a double for me but I was like, okay, well, you know, and she's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm kind of, a, I'm so sorry, I'm in kind of a rush, and she's kind of making her coffee, not really looked at me yet, and I said, well, you know, again, my name's Dave Barnes, I just, and she stopped, and she looked at me, and she said, what'd you just say? And I was like, oh, shoot, like, have I said something offensive, or is my name offensive, which is a whole other conversation, but I said, uh, uh, my name, she said, yeah, tell me your name again, I said, it's, it's Dave Barnes, and I said, uh, and she said, oh, my gosh, Beth, and she grabbed the woman, she was like, this is the guy. And I was like, what do you like? So now we're off script. Like yeah, I had my yeah. whole, thing. now we're improv. She said, I have a note on my computer at home that has your name on it. And I love your music. <laughs> my, can you hear my son knocking on my two year old? It's no big deal at all. <laughs> That's hey, hilarious. Bud. He's doing like the face press of the video thing. Um, but, but so I said, uh, she said, I, she said, I've got to go. I love your music. You're amazing. We're going to do some shows together. I'll see you soon. <laughs> so literally turns around and leaves. And I'm like, I, I don't know what happened. Yeah. I'm sweating. I'm my pants a little bit. And sure enough, dude, a week later, a couple of weeks later, my booking agent called me. He's like, well, I don't know what happened in the last two weeks of your life, but I just got a call from Bonnie Raitt's people that they're asking you to come do two shows it may have been three shows this summer and I confirmed all of them. And I was like, that's amazing. And that's so when crazy. did crazy, incredible. She was, could not have been more after the last show, she came backstage between, between our sets. I just gotten done. She came backstage. She looked to her manager said, come get me in 15 minutes. Make sure we're not interrupted. Sat with me and my whole band and just literally sat in chair, kicked her feet up on the thing and was like, how are we doing guys? 15 minutes. We just, wow. she's like, tell me what you're doing. You love your music. I love you. I mean, we just chatted and then 15 minutes came by and she's like, well, I love you guys. Thanks for doing the show, Dave. I'm here. If you ever need me for anything. I mean, I was like, that's incredible. That is so, uh, what I love about that though is, is there was hustle involved in it. It wasn't, yeah. you know, there's the God, I depend on you. God, I love you. And I trust you got great plans. But it doesn't mean that I'm not going to hustle a little bit because that you could have sat there at your booth and she wouldn't have known who you were. She wasn't coming up to oh. you if you didn't go to her. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it, it's I think, you know, what is that? There's some great phrase like pray, pray, but move your feet. There's yes. some, like I think it's that or something. 
African proverb that is, but, um, but you know, so, 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 and I don't, I don't ever want to pitch myself. I was like, I just waited for, I did wait for it, but you know, I, I'm a very motivated dude, but I do think, you know, there are those moments where you go like, Oh, a little, a little hustle goes along. It really does. And what a great principle, man. What a great principle that, that you can be really good at what you do, but it doesn't mean you ever quit hustling. It doesn't mean that you ever stop. You never, you never stop. So here you are, you mean, you, you've sort of created this world songwriter, great artist, man, beloved by people. And now here in the middle of your life, you're going, you know, I've always been known as sort of a funny guy. And now you're doing stand up. Now that you're, you're sort of owning this, this, I'm going to get a crowd and not just sing for them. I'm going to, I'm going to walk out on a stage without a guitar. How is that? How has that been for you? How is that? Is it more nerve wracking than singing? What's that whole process been like? It's just, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's similar and vastly different. Um, it's still performing, you know, it's, it's, it's where you're on stage. I mean, you know about that, like being up there and talking to people, but it is, I think one of the biggest, there's a lot of differences, but I would say one of the biggest differences to me is, um, which, you know, really well as a, as a speaker and teacher who's in front of people, pace is paramount. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's the great it's the most gracious thing in the world because you can have a terrible banter can be failing you at just alarming rates but the minute you strum that first chord everybody's like wow and they forgive anything you said or or messed up uh there's no there's no net in stand-up there's no safety net you you are absolutely accountable and judged for everything that's happening even the funniest joke followed by the worst joke (laughs) you remember the <laughs> or in, in the moment they think later they don't i don't think they walk away from that was terrible remember that one really bad joke about the washing machine and you know whatever yeah but um but it is pace like so much of it is you have to be i mean you know this really well like my dad same thing he laughs all the time he's like all of a sudden he's like we can talk about this now because you know what it feels like to get yeah. in front of people and just you know but you know there's just I, I've had to learn so much about being ahead, like being mm. a couple steps ahead. And I tell you the funniest thing too, Mike, and you know this from speaking, room size is massive. Big time. Because bigger the room, the slower you can go. The smaller the room, the quicker you need to go. And mm-hmm. I think that's another lesson I just learned, even on these last few shows I did, was, you know, we did like a couple of shows that were two, 300. Then I did a show in Dallas, it was 500, maybe 550 or something, packed room. And it, I got to go slower because the laughter lasted, lasted longer and I could pace a little better. Yeah. And then I did the rhyme and same thing. I mean, a huge room. I was able to like buy a little more time, compose myself, make sure how I wanted to get into the next bit, get out of that bit where, you know, the sm- I'd done a room in San Antonio. I never played there. There was like a hundred people there, you know, and I was flying because it was like, ha ha. And I was like, <laughs> oh, shoot. Uh, it was no gift. You feel naked, man. You feel oh, naked. If 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 it doesn't work right in that pace, it is it will jack you up big time. And I went back to the hotel that night and it was like, I think that's it for me. It's been a great run. Uh it's time to do the seminary thing. It's just, you know, I'll be older, but that uh you know, it's every exit strategy was I understand, man. Well, it was so funny. So I was listening to you yesterday. You were on John Acuff's podcast, which is a great podcast. And y'all were talking about it. And I was driving and I just called into my office and said, 
pray for me today. I'm doing an event I am terrified to do. And I, I speak to professional sports teams, speak to business groups, and I love speaking. That's what I do. But I was going to do assemblies for a middle school. Oh, I God. was, I was, I, you always feel like an eighth grader is making fun of you. If they lean over and whisper, I know they're talking about me. And I was, ter- I was, ter- I was terrified. Every time you pull up behind a school bus, you're like, this just is not good, man. I don't know what they're looking at. They look at me funny. And now I've got 30 minutes of uninterrupted time with a school stage, a microphone, a podium, and me. And I, I truly was terrified. I hadn't been nervous in years. I was, I was nervous. And I was thinking oh, yeah. about you talking to John about getting stand-up. You don't have a guitar in your hand. You don't have your, your fail-safe to move the crowd. Is it something you want to continue? Do you think it's something that's short-lived? What do you think? I, I really, 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 really enjoy it. It, yeah. it is been a real blessing because it's another outlet um somebody at one of my best friends in college had to do an interview with me for one of her classes and you know I was 20 and she said you know Dave if there's one thing that you couldn't do what that would kill you what's the thing you have to do and I was like and I said this even without thinking but it has been so true for the last 20 years I was like create Mm. I just love that's good I love I love things I love I love to put out content I just like for me to be able and so I think it's been such a sweet thing for the Lord to let me do because you know at 40 I've done music for a while now and I still love it and it's still my passion passion but it's so fun to have another thing that Mm. that gives me a chance to create um I really really enjoy it I think you know we we and my management team are kind of you know we're in an interesting season now because we're kind of like what happened we keep doing this do we do we sort of try to see where it goes if we let it go the thing i'll tell you really quickly one of the funniest things about this tour and i almost wanted to like hand out pamphlets or like q a to my to the audience <laughs> because it like I, you know i felt like i was undertaking this massive thing you know music and comedy no one had ever done that no. and still hasn't with a music set a, a legitimate not humorous music set a music set a break and then just stand up. And again, yep. not Adam Sandler where he does funny songs, not a Zach Galifianakis and these guys who do yep. humorous songs, but but respected, successful songs uh, with stand up that has nothing to do with the music. Uh, you know, I don't know that anyone's ever done that. So I felt like, oh my gosh, I am undertaking this like you know Greek tragedy like adventure to see if I can pull off pushing the boulder all the way up the hill. You know, and I'd start doing the shows and I would just come back. Like, as you know, just drenched in sweat, like oh, laying on the couch. Like I did it. high five in the band. They're like, dude, killer job. And then I'd go like, you know, look on Instagram or Twitter. And I'd just be like, it's just no, nobody seems to be responding about these shows. And so kept happening, kept happening. So finally I sat down with some friends and I was like, I just need some perspective on, like what's happening? And are the show's not funny. And these people too, and they're like, "No, yeah. dude, they're his." And I was like, "Was the music?" Now, like, no, the you, it's I'm locked in. And one of my friends said, and I thought this was really, really wise. He said, "This is what you got to understand, Dave. People know you're funny. Everybody comes there expecting you to be funny. They know you're funny. I mean, your brand is music, and then your crazy, weird personality. It's always been that. So I think you're forgetting that people, the, the cat's out of the bag. Mm-hmm. So they are." 
going, I bet this is going to be funny. And then it's funny. And they leave going, Hey, high five. Great night. See you next time. And I'm thinking, no, but I've worked so hard. (laughs) Like this is hard. This isn't me just getting up there riffing. I mean, it is, but for me, it was, it was oddly sort of, it was like a backdoor encouragement. Cause I was like, Oh yeah, I guess so. Cause even the Ryman show, I mean, 25, it was a sold out night, 2,500 people. And I'm thinking, surely there's going to be like a, and a couple people were like, man, that was funny. And I'm like, really? That's it. Like there's that's no, but crazy. I think because yeah, like you're funny. Everybody knows you're fun. That's we know that. And yep. you delivered high five. <laughs> that is great. Well, I'm glad they said that though. Cause it does help you understand Okay, I'm not swinging and missing. There's still 2,400 people there. If there was 24 people in the 2,400 yeah. seat, it would be a different ball game. But there were there were people there. You made a statement. There's been two statements, and I want to I want to capture these, and we'll 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 roll. Amy Grant said, and you said this in one of your interviews: "Graceful on the way up, graceful on the way down." You said, "Man, that's a statement I've held on to." Why did? Why was hearing that from Amy or one of the artists you really respect? Why was hearing that from, from her formative for you and who you are? I think for a few reasons, one, because I hope to have a long career in it. So it gives some thought to, to the arc of it, you know? And I think, you know, whether you like it or not, you're never going to be, you're never going to always be as at some point your career will, will start to trend the other way. And it may, by the grace of God, that's not like a 45 degree, <laughs> 90 degree angle you're going down. But, you know, you're not going to be as cool as you once were. You're not going to be as relevant. You're not going to be the people book at the college to come play the shows anymore. Um, and I think in that moment, you need the, those things come back. You know, how you treated people, how you made them feel, um, how you talked to the runner at the college that drove you around. Uh, because those people you might be coming in contact again on the other side. And if you aren't kind to them, if you're drinking your own Kool-Aid too much, whatever, they don't want to have you back around or they, or, you know, you, 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 they treat you differently Mm -hmm. when you no longer sort of power you may have held at one point. Um, And I think more than anything, you know, uh, halftime is such a great book. I read that about a year ago and, my hope is that if you can treat people kindly on the way up when things are going well, you you then have some authority and you have a voice to help people on the other side. You know, that, that people remember, like, I just remember Dave being really kind. And I wonder if he would have some thoughts on this or mm-hmm. because, you know, I'm slowly transitioning into the, to more of a role. I, I hope my career is not over, but of more of a role of being here to help those who, uh, to be like some, all those people that helped me when I was 21, yep. 22. Um, and I think if you can, if you can have the same posture the whole time, that grants you the ability to actually do that. I think instead of sort of suddenly popping up and being like, Hey, I'm cool now and nice yeah. and been, can I help anybody? And people are like, nah, man, like, mm. where I think if, if, if you can keep that posture the whole time, you know, that makes you a little more available. Um, and people want to want to want to have you. Help That's exactly more. right. I was so funny. You were when you were talking about that. I thought about a guy that I knew in the professional athletics world. I'll just say in the in the scouting industry, and he'd burned bridges for twenty years. 
And when he was needy and needed others, there were no bridges to walk across. And, and, and he had to sit down and own, nobody likes me. And, and I've seen other guys, their career falls apart. They've helped people for 20 years and people are rallying to help them get back up on their feet and open a door for them. That, that's a great statement, whether you're in, in the music world, stand-up comedy world, business world, church world. We're all going up and we're all going to come down. And it is, it is an arc. We hope we don't come down too. We don't hope it's not the screen machine coming down, but it, it's a part of life. The other quote you made, and this may be one of the greatest quotes I have ever heard. I'm telling you, this will go, this will go in the rotation here at North star. Anytime we come together, um, bearing our strengths breeds competition. Anytime do we come together, bearing our weaknesses breeds community. Why do you, man, I'm telling you, Dave, that's one of the greatest things I've ever heard. What about that grabs you? What is it about that statement? You go, that's why that's a great statement to me. You know, it's funny. I don't even remember the guy that said it. Uh, I, I'll tell you some of why it affected me so much was I was on a tour with one of my best friends, a guy named Matt Wirtz, and a, one of his friends called him and left that because he had heard it in a sermon at his church in Kansas City. And he said, mm -hmm. I just feel like I need to tell you guys this. And it, it was like it unlocked my friendship with Wirtz in a way because we had barely met each other. We're out playing shows together. And so there's, you can imagine, we're 23, 24. There is so many things happening in that relationship. You know, I didn't know him very well. So we're both playing. We're both trying to sell CDs. We're both trying to get people to listen to our music. And we're also spending every moment of every day for three weeks together. So it was kind of this key that just got stuck in and twisted. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, this is what I'm doing wrong. Mm -hmm. Like I need vulnerable. And all of a sudden our friendship just exploded you know like it just shot out of the ground because it was like oh like when he and i can talk about what's hard about this where we we this thing happens and we're not going man you how many did you sell last oh it's amazing or those people all wanted to get your autograph and not mine or whatever and i'm telling you i mean i i don't outside of scripture i don't know that i've found a more plug-and-play thought mm -hmm. in all of them. It, it it just it's like it is never wrong. And I'll notice that in friendships. I'll notice that in my marriage. I'll yep. notice that just in, in, if I can start a relationship or, or a new friendship with me being vulnerable, and it doesn't mean like, dude, good to meet you. Can I tell you what I'm struggling with? <laughs> I'm, you know, a place of like, I don't have it all together. Yep. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, you just, it's like the people that respond to that, it is just locked. It's like, oh yeah, well, uh, cool. <laughs> like here we go. Yep. You know, like this would be great. And and I think too, when I've looked at relationships, I'm like, why is this so hard? Why are me and this guy? Why are me and my wife? Why? And it's because we're not. We're both kind of coming in. Yep. So today, yep. <laughs> crushed it. I mean, crushed today. And it's my. And it's it is foolproof. I'm saying you know this, Mike. But it's a. It's and then you'll watch it happen. Yep. You'll watch somebody and they do this, and then you'll see the echo. Well, yeah, man, that's funny. You said that. I had another great thing happen too. Oh my god, I didn't forget to tell you. I had this awesome thing happen, and you just feel the chests puff, yep. and 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 community goes scurrying off into the corner, and it becomes like the. But the minute somebody, and you can watch that in that conversation, somebody go, dude, I wish, 
man, I had a terrible day and this thing fell through. And then all of a sudden, well, yeah, yeah, I didn't say that, but yeah, it was, I mean, this thing did suck yesterday. And all of a sudden the opposite happened. That's exactly right. And I think uh, it's this, it's a really interesting litmus paper test to community. It's like, you can just plug that little formula into, I feel like our community struggling. It's not doing well. I'm like, well, are y'all talking about things that aren't going well? No, not really. We'll try that. And then call me in a week. And it's like, dude, we had the most amazing community group. And I'm like, it is. <laughs> it is. And, and it's the key to church. It's the yeah. key to business. It's the key to a team. It's it's yeah. the key to a marriage. When I heard, I'm telling you, I was driving in this morning, listening. You were on, I believe, the Greater Life podcast is where I heard it. And I was driving yeah. in, listening to it. And I pulled my car off the road and did a voice in so I'd remember it because my mind bings too much. And so I knew I'd forget it. it I, that will go down because I sit there and I think about a small group that I was in this morning. And every guy walks in and every guy's willing to admit they ain't got it together. And these are all very high performing members of society that everybody thinks have it together. But when they're in that room, man, they're like, dude. I got this guy that works for me. He's going through and and you find out, well, we're all in camaraderie, but then you'll get around that other group that wants to puff the chest out and flex the arms up and nobody likes being there, but the people yeah. that talk a lot, they all like being there, but nobody else even yeah. enjoys it. Christ is paramount. Christ right. is strong our weaknesses. And what happens is if you can say, you don't know what's going on yet. I see that you're still having success that, your marriage is is functional. Your kids seem to be in good communication with you, but yet you're sitting there telling me I have these struggles. Well, then all that can be glorified is Christ, not you. That's right. Boy, that's good. I, that's, do you know what I mean? Like, and I think yep. that's the powerful is even without us knowing it in in the Christ in Christendom at least. If I tell you I'm struggling, yet it looks like every there's yet there's things that are have life. Those things only have life because of the Lord. And I think if we celebrate our weaknesses, God is strongest. That's, that's the beauty of that moment is then we can go, but isn't it amazing that God is still giving life to things in the midst of my inability to. That's you know? so good. That is so good. I owe you for that one, man. I owe you for that one. That's, that's, that's money in the bank right there. That will be on small group Sunday and, and man, teaching organization, organizational leadership. I mean, it's everything. If you have a company and that's the, the leader leads with a limp. I was interviewing yep. Ravi Zacharias the other week and I asked Ravi something about leadership and, and Ravi goes, I never trust a leader without a limp. Oh, dude. And Amen. man, when he said that, but it, it's that, you know that they've lived life. They've endured it. So final question. Yeah. You get to the end of the days. You looked back at your childhood and you said, it was the most tremendous blessing to grow up with my mom and my dad. What do you want your kids to say about growing up you in, in you and your wife's home one day when somebody's sitting down with them with the technology they have then interviewing them about their life? What do you want them to say about that experience? You know, I think globally, and I, and I, so I want to answer this two ways globally that the Lord, that we were able to lead them to the Lord. Mm. Right. And that's a little bit of like, duh, but, but yeah. it has to be it's huge. I think under that, um, I would say my prayer for them is that they know 
And this may be the most concise way I can say it. Know that they are loved by us and the Lord and that they are worthy of love. Mm. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. I think, I think if my kids can get out into the world and have confidence to not, not false confidence, not a false hubris of like, I'm, a, I'm this little, don't mess with me, but, um, but I, I'm loved. I'm loved by my parents. I'm loved by the Lord. You can, you, you can do it. Like life, mm. life is surmountable. Like you can, you can, you can get through it. Um, and that's, I mean, Annie and I both, my wife and I both feel such a huge weight to do that for our kids that, that we don't need to be perfect and we apologize to them all the time, but I just really want them when they head out in the world to go for all the faults and all the, especially with me, but all the weirdness, <laughs> I know I'm loved and I know that I'm worthy of being loved. I think, I think that I would, I would, feel like, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd give myself a little tiny high five for that. Didn't you enjoy that time with Dave? I'll tell you this as a father of two kids who now are in their twenties, but as a pastor, Hearing somebody like Dave grew up in a preacher's home who gets it and hearing a guy living out his faith like he's living it out. And the comment that he had that I hung on to was when he talked about my dad and my mom and dad lived a functional faith. That statement I have repeated so many times since Dave said it, a functional faith. It's a faith that's lived out, whether they're an engineer or an artist whether they are a baseball player or just a stay-at-home parent, a functional faith. You know, I think as parents, we want to leave our kids with something. You know, the greatest thing we can leave them with is a faith that's lived out every day. That's that Deuteronomy faith. When Moses said, whether you're going out or you're coming in, whether you're getting up or you're lying down, to live out your faith in front of your children, to write it on the doorpost and to write it on the tablet of their heart. That's what Dave's dad, mom and dad did. And that's what marked him. And that's what I pray that you do with your faith. No matter where you are, it's not what you do. It really is who you are. And I hope you enjoyed our time with Dave. I tell you what, I fell in love with his music after uh, our time together because I enjoyed him so much. It was fun to get to know him even better. What a fun time we had. Well, on our next episode, we get to sit down with the infamous Brian Dodd. Brian is a very, very close friend and an amazing leader. You may have read his podcast or seen his um, blog, Brian Dodd on Leadership, or heard him on somebody else's podcast or read one of his books, but you are going to love our time with Brian Dodd. But until next time, Go be the leader that you were created to be in the space and the place that God has put you. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.